580. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com or Patreon.com slash SpiritBladeProductions. Productions on the show today, which is coming at you early to give you a little something to listen to on the uh, drive to grandmother's house or your mother's house or your sister's house, as is uh, my case, uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday for those of you in the United States. Anyway, on the show today, a look back at the groundbreaking and influential comic book story, Batman The Dark Knight Returns, as part of our Essential Issues series. And an exploration through the Bible on why thankfulness actually helps us geeks in uh, some significant ways. Check the timestamps for more details. Here we go. Welcome to Essential Issues, where I talk about my favorite DC comics of the past uh, that are still affordably available today, blabbing about why they are special to me, and what, if anything, they have to say about the essential issues of real life. Now, warning, this series does freely contain some spoilers, but I think even spoiled, these stories are still well worth reading. For more info about the intent of this series and what to expect from it, check out the video on the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel titled Essential Issues series introduction. All right, we've covered some key origin stories from DC Comics. Now we're moving into stories that feature major events in the DC universe or that in some way define the status quo or that are, in my view, iconic representations of DC characters. Uh, this time, we're falling more into the category of iconic representations of the DC character of DC characters and things that uh, redefine the status quo. And there is not much more of a status quo changing or establishing work in uh, DC Comics than Batman The Dark Knight Returns, which just radically changed and influenced going forward what Batman was to readers for decades. So let's just dive right into this thing. Uh, Bruce Wayne, around 60 now, has retired from crime fighting and Batman hasn't been seen for 10 years. He seems to be looking for a reason to live, though, displaying death wish tendencies in a race and feeling a growing desire for something more. Uh, He says, in my gut, the creature writhes and snarls and tells me what I need. Bruce Wayne is a deeply haunted and even disturbed man. Uh, I'm reminded again that this story brought a psychological complexity to the character I had never seen or even considered before, but that makes perfect sense for someone as driven as he is. The story establishes immediately that the memory of his parents' death is as fresh as ever. He has never adjusted to it or found peace with it at all. And I've come to find this to be an extremely valuable component of any Batman story since then. I do not want a well-adjusted Batman. Uh, There are subtle references to the death of Jason Todd as the reason for Batman's retirement. So uh, obviously today one one would have to read this as an alternate history as well as a possible future story for Batman. But the death of Jason isn't a powerful enough ghost to defeat what is happening inside Bruce, who senses that a new breed of street criminal requires Batman's return. Again, highlighting Bruce's psychological issues, this process begins on a subconscious level when Bruce unknowingly shaves the mustache he has had for years, presumably in preparation for wearing the cowl again. The news reports on uh, crime pile on top of each other, bringing Bruce to the edge 
where he's finally pushed over by a bat once again, as it did decades before, breaking through the window of his study. Now, adding to the psychological is a sense of the mythical, as though Bruce is driven by a supernatural force or being to continue his work as Batman. In the next sequence, Batman is back in Gotham, but for pages, we don't see him. He is treated like a horror movie monster, invisibly taking out his victims as they scream in pain and terror. I had never seen this kind of Batman before. It was a reversal of the horror movie experience, where I found myself rooting for the monster and his decisive, terrifying punishment on the deserving. This is also a Batman who is dealing with the limitations of his body. In this story, because of old age, but many Batman stories after this gave significant focus to Batman's humanity and how he pushes himself to his limits. Just one more way this story was influential for decades after it was first published, and why it still holds up well today on many levels. It's a driven tough Batman who is very much needed in Gotham that is far darker than we had seen in comics before, and even still dark enough to match today's standards of Batman stories. The criminals are nasty, sadistic, violent, almost animalistic creatures. In this story, a very dark evil is presented that requires a very driven hero to stop it, as the audience feels the great need for him to succeed. There are also political overtones in the writing. This is a Batman who is fed up with the laws that protect criminals from justice. He has a sort of extreme conservatism about him, while at the same time resembling the modern extreme liberal tendencies toward asserting one's sense of justice at the expense of others' rights. I'm reminded of today's cancel culture and some instances of protesters strategically drowning out the free speech of others. There are also brief panels featuring news anchors or man-on-the-street interviews exposing the hypocrisy and logical inconsistencies possible and present on both ends of the political spectrum. There's also a sense that the writer, Frank Miller, is frustrated with people not being held responsible for their actions. Dr. Walper, a psychologist who has been working to rehabilitate Harvey Dent and other criminals, seems to be obviously performing mental gymnastics in order to blame Batman for their criminal behavior. The doctor, several times in this story, parallels the modern tendency to justify criminal or sinful behavior by creating a label for it, as though removing its mystique makes it acceptable or even morally good, or at the very least removes responsibility for the behavior from the individual. A little further in, and we're introduced to a young girl dressing up as Robin and preparing to go out and make a difference in Gotham, while her off-panel parents comment on the horrible state of the city, but stay inside, getting high. I've almost never been a fan of the concept of Robin. Like Superman, the character has to be written in a particular way to work well for me. I don't much care for this Robin either, but her introduction page feels timeless, as though representing two kinds of people, those who talk about the world needing to change but remaining detached from it, and those seeing that need and willing to take risks to bring that change about. I can't help but see myself a bit in Robin's off-panel parents, uh, swapping out drugs for creature comforts, safety, and entertainment in my case. And though this Robin is foolish and naive, I appreciate her willingness to take the action she does. Speaking of taking action, Batman is more aggressive than ever in this story, and some fans may take issue with him using a gang member's gun to kill another gang member when a baby is at risk. It's a choice to kill that police officers can and do make, but something about Batman in particular using a gun and killing may rub some readers the wrong way. Personally, I generally prefer Batman not killing, but this is a different Batman. Some may not like him or versions inspired by him, such as Ben Affleck's version in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice, but it is one interpretation of the character under certain circumstances, and I think it can work in those circumstances. As Batman looks to take on the mutant gang that has terrorized Gotham, we get our first full look at the Batmobile, which is essentially a giant tank. Nothing sportsy about this car. It's a 
hulking death juggernaut. I wasn't sure I liked it at first and still don't as a general preference, but it quickly grew on me as very fitting for, again, the circumstances of this story and this Batman. After a defeat I won't spoil that leaves Batman broken, dragged to safety by the aspiring new Robin, we get a hint of where the story is going as we overhear a conversation between Superman and the President of the United States who asks Superman to talk to Batman and get him to back down from his activities. Frank Miller has gone on record saying that he is proud of breaking up the bromance between Superman and Batman, reasoning that these are two guys that would just not get along. He viewed Superman as being on the side of the establishment, while Batman uh, is a rogue operating clearly outside the law. It could be argued that during the 1950s, Batman was just as much a patriotic hero of the establishment as Superman and every other superhero during that time, but while I wouldn't want Superman and Batman to always be actual enemies to each other, I'm grateful for what Miller did to their relationship here and the tension between the two that has forever carried over into the mainstream DC universe. Batman learns from his mistakes and in an extremely memorable rematch establishes why he is so familiar not because of his expertise in martial arts, but because of his brilliant tactical mind. Another facet of his character that is played up in this story and reverberates in many future Batman stories when he is up against someone who clearly outmatches him physically. When Batman goes up against another guy who is bigger, faster, and stronger than him by a mile, be concerned for the other guy's safety. That said, Superman enters the story like some kind of force of nature. We don't even see him at first, just the destruction he causes from merely passing through. He arrives at just the right time to pose a new threat to Batman. Bruce and Clark meet out of uniform, and Clark gently warns Bruce that if ordered, he will take Bruce down. Bruce essentially responds with bring it on in a sense and uh, sets the stage for an inevitable conflict of more than just methodology. Dr. Walper brings the Joker on a late night talk show to demonstrate to the world how he has been cured. Batman knows what's going to happen, but the new commissioner is determined to arrest Batman as he predictably tries to bring the Joker down before he can kill again. With the police interfering, the Joker succeeds in mass murder. Both he and Batman escape, and while Batman is hunting down the Joker, the new commissioner and police force are hunting both of them. As you might guess, the story involves a final confrontation between Batman and the Joker, final with a capital F, and the kind that really can't happen in the regular comics because it's the end of all conflicts between Batman and his greatest villain. Does Batman finally cross that line? Well, I won't spoil that here, but the outcome leaves the Joker dead and Batman still on the run uh, from the new police commissioner. The final book in the miniseries is admittedly my least favorite. A major catastrophe causes all of Gotham to lose power and the remnants of the mutant gang, many of which have patterned themselves after Batman, take the opportunity to exert control over the city. But Batman literally rides in on a horse and stops them. I'm not sure I'm really keen on that visual even today. Uh, instead, using his influence to become their new leader. Meanwhile, Superman is withering away after being hit by a nuke and having the sky blotted out so that he can't absorb the rays of the sun to recover, so he begins a weird internal monologue about being about the Earth being his mother, and I, I kid you not, gets healed by some form of flower power. Uh, but, you know, I gotta think to myself, you know, when this was written, the mid-70s were only as far in the rear, back in the rearview mirror as, as 22, or 2010, excuse me, is to us right now, so, you know, you just kind of have to shrug and say, okay, that was a you know, a bit of the times there. In other ways, the story zooms out to focus on the city as a whole, which it had already done up to this point, but I really wanted it to start zooming in even more on Batman as we bring this story to a close. So to me, this part of the story feels like it's focusing on the wrong things, the wrong characters, 
too often. Uh, as world building and political commentary continue, I'm ready for this story to just be about a small ensemble cast. Thankfully, I'm still rewarded with a fight that is the culmination of tensions between Batman and Superman in this story. Although it's been done bigger and better in other stories since then, including the animated adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns, this was the first time these two characters had been true enemies. An historic moment that has been called back to many times in uh, different ways in the decades since. Uh, The story leaves room for a sequel, which Frank Miller wrote many years later, and which I really didn't like. Uh, I liked his run on All-Star Batman and Robin even less, but with Batman The Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller gave us a version of the character that has left its mark and continued to define who he is today. You can get The Dark Knight Returns on Amazon new for $15 and for a lot less used on Amazon.com at the time of this recording. You can also read it for free with an Amazon Prime subscription on Kindle and Comixology. All right. Well, I blew through that. I mean, I didn't even bring up, I don't think, Harvey Dent and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's, this is a, a big tome of a story. Uh, and so I, I, I neglected to mention so many things that you could still get out of this. It really could have been a three-part uh, series for me to talk about. But I, I just wanted to give one segment to it so that we could continue moving on through other stories in the DC universe. Um, next up, we are jumping into the future all the way to 2001. Uh or at least 2001 was the future at the time that this story was written. It's not exactly an earth-shattering event, but it introduces both a hero and a villain that would play major roles in DC event stories later on in DC publishing history. So I think it's a, an important one um, to be familiar with. Uh, I, it's also one that that I enjoyed, and uh, I hope that I'll enjoy it again as I come back to it a second time. We will see. Uh, it's a time-traveling tale exploring the the, uh, the which of the DC heroes was dead destined to become one of its most dangerous villains. Uh, this is m- maybe very well a-, a story that you missed, even if you're a DC fan, but I think it's definitely worth checking out. Next time, we're going to take a look at Armageddon 2001. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. (gasps) For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. This week at spiritblade.com I've launched our Christmas sale as of uh, November 27th and it's running all the the way through December 15th and during that time you can get uh, great discounts on all of our audio dramas both physical and mp3 so all of that you can check out right now at spiritblade.com and if you forgot the first part of our spirit blade trilogy in the legacy edition format the digital version is free over there free forever so you can test the waters that way see if you'd be interested in the ones that follow and if you are they are on discount from now until december 15th uh those physical versions uh i don't know if you remember like these this technology called cds cds we used to listen to them We used to put them in devices, and they would make sounds come into your headphones or out of speakers and stuff like that. Those are available. Uh, if you want the CD version of these, they uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with this technology, I can tell you that it does fit quite nicely into most size stockings. Uh, what else we got? At youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, I've posted the video, When Geek Hobbies Create Conflict. Uh, that's our continuing look at the book of James. Uh, and then I've also, I've posted my politics and denomination, or lack thereof, which is part two of my uh, Extra Life Marathon from uh, just this, just this beginning of this month. <laughs> it seems like a lifetime ago already. And my gosh, that was an epic thing that seemed like a lifetime... <laughs> of of, uh, existence itself 24 hours my gosh anyway part two of that is up on the youtube channel uh and then on wednesday you should be able to find uh the video for the in search of truth segment that's on this episode of the podcast which i've titled on the channel how thankfulness helps geeks and then this friday i'm not putting anything up on thursday just enjoy that time uh with your families i know you nerds it can be difficult but let's give of ourselves let's give of ourselves and invest in uh 
in our families. <laughs> that's part of my prayer too, because that's uh, you know that's it's a it's a mixed bag, mixed bag as it always is. So anyway, um, but so yeah, nothing for you on Thursday. But come back on Friday if you want to see all the images that go along with my essential issues look at Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, the video version of that. Uh, should be going up on Friday with uh, a bunch of uh, uh, shots of the comic book pages to uh, to go with my uh, thoughts about it. And while you're there, if you want to like, share, subscribe, click that notification bell, and just in general do whatever you can to stay connected to this content or help share it with others that you think would connect with it, uh, I would be really grateful for that. Christian Geekly News highlights from our Twitter feed at Christian underscore geek include just one item this week because it is a shorter week. I'm recording this on Tuesday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving so that uh, I'm cramming in my work uh, as much as I can because we f- we realized last week my boys are actually have Wednesday off in- instead of just the usual Thursday and Friday, which is really weird to me, but I wanted to try and have that day off so that I could just uh, lounge around with them uh, during the day. So uh, anyway, I'm recording this on Tuesday and therefore have much less <laughs> to uh, potentially even talk about from our, our uh, Christian Geekly News highlights. But Love Thy Nerd said we would love for you to join us in San Antonio, Texas for PAX South from January 17th through the 19th, 2020. Come and help us love and serve our nerdy neighbors by playing games and building relationships. Got questions? Email Matt at lovethynerd.com. For links to that story and to stay up to date on the notable news and events from the wider world of Christian geekery, follow Christian Geek Central on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. No weekly waistline this week uh, because I measure myself every Wednesday morning. And like I said, I'm recording this thing to be out of the way before Wednesday comes. I am still going to measure myself on Wednesday this week and uh, and also Wednesday next week. So you should be able to plan on getting two measurements from me in the, the form of updates next week. But I, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting thinner uh, this week. I lost a notch on my belt. That felt pretty good. But I'm also eating kind of cruddy. It's already started a little bit early. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Anyway, if you're not familiar with, with what the crap I'm talking about, you can go to episode 565. That's when that segment of this podcast launched. Uh, but I'm not going to dig, dive into any more of it now. Just uh, hang in there until next week. Uh, Patreon.com slash Productions. If you're not currently a patron, this is a really good time to jump on. I'm testing out new content ideas exclusively with patrons, uh, all patrons of any uh, tier, over the next five months. In fact, I just posted this morning my watch-along of John Carpenter's The Thing, my favorite horror movie of all time time, you can uh, basically play the audio or video version of me to sync up with your copy of the movie and hear my uh, reactions. There's things I still uh, laugh at. There's one even like jump that just got me just a little bit still uh, this time. And uh, and my speculations and thoughts about uh, th- that movie, really a really interesting one and enjoyable for me on multiple levels. So you can uh, get hopefully some of that infectious enjoyment from me uh, by watching my watch along of John Carpenter's The Thing while you uh, enjoy the movie yourself. Hopefully not for the first time. I recommend watching that movie yourself uh, first. But anyway, that's uh, that's a pilot that I'm testing out now exclusively with patrons uh, over at patreon.com slash Productions. Just a dollar a month gets you on board with an influential voice and exclusive content as a few months from now, the patrons vote on which of the pilots I present in these few months we've been going for now will become uh, a new ongoing type of content. And at 30 patrons, we're five away, we're having a pizza with an asterisk party on Discord. Uh, so once again, I want to thank all my patrons. Guys, you make this possible. You make all of this doable. And uh, I really, really appreciate your support. Uh, for more info, visit patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. I want to do something a little bit different from our usual In Search of Truth segment this time. Uh, you can probably predict. This is going to be the cliched uh, and predictable focus on thankfulness uh, at this time of Thanksgiving in the United States. But... Um, really, I, I put some real thought into this because I, I wanted to 
create some content here for that people could easily find on the YouTube channel that is really hopefully valuable all the time because I think thankfulness is an issue that uh, we as geeks struggle with because as geeks we are often so focused on the things that we want the cool thing that we want to experience or buy or do or whatever you know instead of uh, having gratitude for what we already have for both in terms of tangible things and intangible things all the blessings that God has given us um, I know personally, I just don't tend to think about those things. We are being bombarded constantly uh, by advertising and and uh, media that's talking about things that you know uh, people are trying to get us to buy and to want all the time. You know, so uh, so I think this is a valuable exercise f- frequently to come back to throughout the year. First, I just want to just kind of go through a few verses from the Bible that talk about thankfulness, just to kind of highlight how often. Uh, this idea pops up that we probably miss as we're reading through uh, familiar, even familiar passages of the Bible. Psalm 50, verses 12 through 14, and there's a bunch you can find in the Psalms about being thankful. This is just one. Uh, all these verses I'm going to read are the ESV translation. 50, uh, verses 12 through 14, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. So this was written during the time that the sacrificial system was still uh, at work and God was still wanting people to give sacrifices. But the, the psalmist here reveals through the Holy Spirit that God, at the end of the day, is looking for something deeper than just those uh, those sacrifices. He wants uh, something that's relational, something that's from our hearts. That's what he's going after. Um, Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 3, 15 through 17, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Uh, Thanking God is also going to be part of the status quo in his eternal kingdom. Revelation 7 verses 11 and 12 say, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Um, and now, getting into some verses that I, I want to give just a little bit more comments on. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 reads, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's an interesting one. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Even in the worst of circumstances, we're still commanded to be giving thanks to God. Not simply because he deserves it, which he does, but because God loves us and he knows that thanking him is good for us when we are at rock bottom. In fact, a lack of thankfulness accompanies spiritual sickness, which of course God wants us to avoid. Romans 1 Verses 20 and 21 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This is talking about the the natural tendency for humans uh, to just reject God and uh, neglect him. Uh, It goes on to say, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts 
were darkened. So a lack of thankfulness tends to be paired with hearts that are becoming foolish and darkened and dwelling on futile thoughts. Uh, if we want to find ourselves in a dark place, uh, feeling hopeless and having futile thoughts as our focus, then neglecting expressions of thankfulness to God is going to help us to get there. Uh, I've noticed this firsthand and experienced how exercising faithfulness as a discipline even when I don't initially feel it naturally, which is most of the time, it works like a sort of antidote to feelings of emptiness or depression. Uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, and actually Philippians 4, uh, 4 through 9 has been a, a collection of verses that I have been, uh, I've had memorized on and off over the last handful of years, but I just want to focus on 4 through 7 right now. It says, rejoice, uh, which basically we, you know, that's kind of a churchy word. It essentially just means be glad. So be glad about something. Well, what should we be glad about? Uh, be glad, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So this is a command. It's, uh, he's not assuming that this is going to come naturally to us. He's saying, no, this is a discipline. Enter into being glad in the Lord, in Jesus, always. Uh, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So be guided by reason. Your feelings aren't going to help you here to rejoice in the Lord. It's going to have to start with your reason. Um, and so let your reason, reasonableness be just a defining characteristic of who you are. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So see, it's contrasting. Don't be anxious, but in everything, present your requests to God with thanksgiving in the mix with them. Uh, and, and then what will happen? Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in this discipline of being thankfulness and in communication with God, being thankful as we are presenting requests to him, there's a sense in which, uh, uh, you know, we, won't, we may not even understand how the peace of God is able to affect us in, in light of those things. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in light of Christ Jesus as, and, and, uh, and in relationship with him. Um, this corrective thinking was practiced by the psalmists. If you want kind of a model for practicing thankfulness in the midst of crappy situations, uh, I recommend spending time in the Psalms. Um, the psalmists incorporated regular and extensive expressions of thankfulness to God along with their requests. Uh, thankfulness helps to keep life in perspective for us instead of uh, allowing us to give more weight than we should to the wrong things. Um, now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying thankfulness is all anyone needs. This is not like a simple band-aid. Uh, I mean, it's not simple to begin with because it's it really involves uh, discipline. But uh, even this discipline by itself is not all anyone needs in order to deal with anxiety and depression. You know, if you have serious ongoing depression or anxiety, please seek some qualified help. Uh, but I do want to say that apart from mental if issues or before they develop in many cases, disciplined thankfulness thwarts depressing thoughts and can even help prevent more serious forms of depression from taking root and, uh, and developing in us. Here's a striking example of the power that believers can have uh, when they have a disciplined perspective on thankfulness. And I have to uh, credit the pastor at my church for bringing this up when he talked about uh, being thankful uh, this last Sunday. Acts chapter 5 verses 40 and 41 says, When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So they just got beaten and they leave the place rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That seems freaking alien to me. I don't know about you. And the Psalms sometimes feel like that too. I'm like, who, what kind of person writes this? How are they in that mental and emotional space? But rather than just kind of call these guys weirdos and say, I don't get that, whatever, you know, that's never going to be me. I think this is a chance for us to humbly realize that, you know, there is a deeper, fuller, richer experience of trust in God that we can grow into where we have this kind of 
power that raises us above our circumstances, um, power that the Spirit brings into our lives in response to our thankfulness, being thankful as a discipline, taking regular scheduled time to thank God for the good things we take for granted or that we kind of already feel entitled to, but we don't even think about, we just have from day to day, um, you know, indoor plumbing. Uh, you ever been sick and uh, been mindful and thought, I am so glad I have this toilet <laughs> right now. I'm so glad I have this roof to be under. Um, or just the very act of you know, your heart beating for another day. Our hearts are eventually going to stop and we will no longer have opportunity to serve God in the way that we do in this very specific time right now in life um, to serve his kingdom. It will not, we will not be able to serve him in this way ever again when this life is done. And so every moment we're alive, we have the chance to partner with him. I mean, there are so many things that we just take for granted. So uh, thanking God for those things that we feel entitled to or that we don't even think about helps us to develop a faith and contentment that is immune to our circumstances. It is a discipline. It, it may not feel natural. It, it rarely feels natural for me. Always takes some time for me to kind of get, build some momentum uh, into when I start into it. But uh, but it, I see the rewards in it in the both the short and the long term. Uh, it's what we were made to do and where we will find the contentment that we spend so much time chasing in all the wrong ways. This week at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central, War for Light commented saying, asking, excuse me, what is your plan of action with the new COPPA policies happening January 2020? Praying for you and other creators. Uh, For those not familiar, COPPA, C-O-P-P-A, stands for Child Protection People Act, or I can't remember what it is. But anyway, it's this thing being passed by the FTC, I think is the uh, letters I'm supposed to say, uh, that's just trying to protect children um, from... Uh, being monetized in a way that's manipulative and stuff like that. And so what what the bottom line is, um, is YouTube is uh, forcing all creators to basically categorize their content as for kids or not for kids. And if it's for kids, you are not allowed to monetize any of that content, uh, which is going to be a really big deal for creators like DanTDM and Log.Zip and these, you know, streamers and YouTubers that really focus their stuff on kids, whether they, uh, you know, come out and say they're doing that or not. That's that is really their audience is kids, you know. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens because of the wording of the law. Uh, there's a lot of creators that are worried that their content will be determined by the FTC to be primarily targeted at kids. And if since they don't market that way, they will be heavily fined. I think it's like forty some thousand dollars or something that you can be fined if uh, they 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 you know rule that your content is for kids um, and you are not declaring it as such. Then you know you can get in big trouble or something. So uh, a lot of people are nervous. Uh, there's even uh, you know YouTubers that are saying hey. Just so you know, we're probably not going to continue our channel, you know, going on uh, in the uh, in January. And uh, as for me, I, I responded saying, currently, I have no plans. I have marked my entire channel as being not for kids. YouTube gives you that option. While I think it's possible there will be some automated flags that YouTube sends me at some point, they seem to like those in how they handle music rights. I will confidently dispute them. I think any reasonable person with a personal without a personal vendetta, as well as those who those who don't want to waste money on lawyers, would agree that. None of my videos are designed to primarily target viewers under the age of 13. Thanks for your concern and prayers. I know this will impact many creators. So there is still some question because of the, how the... I'll let you guys do your own research if you're really curious about it. But there's the the, the wording of the law is really sloppy. Um, and so that's what has people nervous. Is like, oh, this... I You know, even though you know I'm not creating content for kids, the way this is worded, I, I think I could potentially get in trouble. Right now, I, I've, I have a lot. I have plenty of things in life that... To make me uh, worry, uh, and uh, I'm just choosing for this to not be one of them because honestly, 
I I think if if I was had the chance to to talk to a reasonable person, I could say, yeah, this even the videos that have my boys in them, you know, I'm I'm I think clearly having asides to the camera to you guys where I'm kind of as a parent, you know, looking to you as a fellow adult and saying this is ridiculous what I'm having to deal with. So it's not being even when my kids are on with me, uh, it's not being made for kids, you know. So and those videos themselves are pretty rare. And my boys are only getting older, so I'm. This isn't. This really isn't something I am spending really any time worrying about at all. I did spend some time thinking about it, but uh, it didn't take long before I, I. I thought, you know, no, I. I really, uh, really don't. See. They're going to come after so many other people, before, especially you know, even if they were like being idiots about it and wasting a bunch of money on lawyers for cases that you know just would be ridiculous to pursue. They're going to pursue a much bigger channels, I think, before they're going to waste time on me. So, um, from the forums at ChristianGeekCentral.com, Reed Benson wrote, "I think this is funny. I use the website Letterboxd to log and uh, sometimes review. Maybe, maybe you meant blog there. Uh, all the movies that I." I didn't know Josh Trank, director of the much-maligned 2015 Fantastic Four reboot, as well as Pater's favorite Chronicle. Uh, that's, that's a mo- Chronicle is the name of a movie that uh, his first movie, I believe, that he directed, which I really do love. Had a letterboxed account until just now. So this is the director has a letterboxed account. He went back and watched Fantastic Four, the, the movie that he directed, for the first time since before it was released. Then he shared his thoughts on letterboxed. Uh, quote, what I can tell is there are two different movies in one movie competing to be that movie. Uh, Reed warns that there is some bad language and adds, I like it when directors do stuff like this. Uh, yeah, you can find the link to that. I checked it out myself. Really interesting. Thanks for linking to that, Reed. Uh, over at the forums at ChristianGeekCentral.com, he uh, posted the link there as well. Um, and by the way, if you uh, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com, just so you know, we are hoping in the first half of 2020 to have a new website created. I don't know if it'll happen in the first half or not, but 2020 is definitely what I have my eye on for the new Christian Geek Central website to launch. Um, anyway, yeah, that's it for now. Feedback, feedback, give me your thoughts. Oh, crap, I gotta pick up my boys from piano. Let me, uh, let me do that. Let me turn this off first. Come on, dang it. Does anybody else have problems? Like, you tap the stop button on your phone, and it won't respond. It, I know that it registers my thumb. There we go. It registers my thumb touching the screen. I can tell because of things that the screen does. But for some reason, my alarm doesn't want to stop. Okay, let me do that super fast like the Flash. Then I'll come back and finish recording the podcast. And I'm back. But what the crap was I talking about? I see here. Uh, new website, hopefully first half of 2020. Okay, feedback, feedback, give me your thoughts. Strike up some chat on our forums at christiangeekcentral.com. Leave a comment at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral or patreon.com slash Productions. You type it, I read it, and might even share it on the show unless you tell me not to or want to be anonymous. That's fine, too. You can also email me a text or audio message at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com. I'd love to hear from you uh, anytime and most any way. And if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature, they just can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate Bible oriented church i want to do that you can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com we can try to look at look at some websites of churches in your area together as i record this like 45 minutes from now we're going to have some friends of our uh, at our church come over with a little group that we've nicknamed the families it's uh, it's just me and holly and our boys and uh, two other couples and their kids that we just uh, reached out to a number of months ago and said, hey, do you guys want to connect on a regular basis, meet like once a month, just share a meal together and just have intentional conversations, see how we can be praying for each other and just kind of commit to living life alongside each other in the years to come uh, and supporting each other and uh, just being there, investing in each other. Uh, And that's been a wonderful thing that never would have happened if we hadn't been connected to a good local church. Uh, That's something that isn't part of it. It's not a program at the church. It's not like something that we signed up for or whatever. But being in the local church environment 
environment, in an, in an intentional, Bible-based, compassionate local church, um, we ran into people over the years, developed an acquaint, at least an acquaintance-level connection with, and got to know each other enough to realize, hey, this is someone that I would like to, that I, I recognize their spiritual intentionality and their maturity. I would like to experience life alongside them. And so that's been really meaningful for us and uh, and I'm looking forward to that meeting, which means I got to speed along <laughs> a little bit here. So let's jump to the weekend geek. Um, what I've done so far, and then my weekend plans. Uh, this week, uh, I exiled Conan. Uh, I told you, I think, last week that I downloaded Conan Exiles to get back into that again. And as uh, I think usually happens, I download it when I've learned that there's been an update. I get into it for a little bit, and then I, for one reason or another, I'm just like, mm, no, no, not for me. And uh, yeah, something about it, again, was not connecting with me enough to keep me in it for the long haul, especially when I've got another game that uh, I, I, I think I just I think I just like the way that um, something like Dragon Quest Builders is balanced compared to how Conan Exiled is balanced. Um, it's there's there's just less of a grind in uh, Dragon Quest Builders. Yes, in Conan Exiles you can adjust all kinds of settings, create your own private settings and stuff like that. But I don't want to spend time tinkering with that and figuring out you know what's going to be the best settings for me. Um, it's I just want that to be done. I want that to be ready and prepared, you know. And so I don't know. There's 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 things about that game that I that make me really want to love it. And maybe someday uh, something will click, and and I will. I've, I'm still keeping my game save, but it's just not. Uh not quite working for me, even though I again and again go back to it. Uh, but I am back in nearly full force with Monster Hunter World. Uh, I, I, there is a path to victory for me, and I am determined to find it. I'm upgrading nearly everything that I can. I've just I've only done like one or two quests in the Iceborne expansion, but the difficulty really ramps up, I, and more so more than the difficulty, even like the 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 HP levels, the the body point count of the enemies is much higher and so battles can last much longer um, and that's kind of annoying to me and so I, I want to find ways to increase my damage output and just be more effective in those battles and I think what that means is going and taking on some of the really higher level post game stuff from the original campaign that I didn't do before getting Iceborne I did finish the campaign and I did a little bit of post game stuff but not a ton and now that I've got, and one of the reasons I did that is I just wasn't interested in the challenge that came with some of those really high-level guys that could just wipe me out in a couple hits, you know, if I was being sloppy. And, uh, uh, and so I'm not, I'm not really interested in that kind of gameplay. But once you get Iceborne, then very early on, even with even without fighting more than one boss, you can go and get some what for Iceborne is very rudimentary armor. Uh, but compared to the highest level armor boosted as much as it can possibly be from the original campaign, it's much, much better. And so uh, just getting that really base level starting armor from the Iceborne campaign, I can go back and now take on some of the post-game monsters and battles and stuff like that. And it's a lot more forgiving of an experience. And so it's been interesting because getting Iceborne has kind of, for me, unlocked my enjoyment of a lot of the post-game content for the original campaign. Um, that I've, I'm realizing, okay, I think I need to now that I have this better armor, go back and really embrace the post-campaign stuff. There's still at least one monster that I haven't even fought yet. That's like an optional monster, and not not to mention even like the event monsters that come around every you know few weeks or months or whatever. So there's uh, so I, I'm definitely taking what I think is an unconventional path uh, for someone that just bought Iceborne, um, but I, I'm I'm really enjoying it and and uh, figuring out that upgrade path. Like, okay, so to make this fight easier, I need to get this item upgraded. But to upgrade this item, I need to farm this monster for a while. But to make farming this monster easier and more enjoyable, I should really upgrade this first. But to upgrade this, I'm going to have to fight this monster. Maybe a f farm it for a little while. <laughs> you know, so, so developing that chain you know, in your mind and figuring out and getting online, you know, I do, I do wish... That um, that for new monsters that you're about to fight, 
you had unlocked all of their weaknesses and stuff like that and the, the attacks that they do. I wish all that information was given to you right away so you didn't have to build your lexicon on that monster through, you know, getting your butt handed to you in fights with them. But that's what the internet is for. So without waiting for those bits of information to unlock, I cheat and I get on, you know, IGN or the Monster Hunter World Wikipedia or whatever and I figure out what the monster's weak points are, what their elemental weaknesses are and strengths and what they're going to hit me with. So what kind of elemental defenses should I work up before I take them on? And so there's all this information and using that I can... I just sit there and think for a while and I look at different monster stats and I think some more and I think and think about different upgrade paths. It's this strikingly different aspect of the game compared to these epic monster battles. And there is a real, you know, kind of in real unique enjoyment to doing all that mental preparation and then also the physical preparation involved in grinding on some monsters that aren't really challenging, but they're still fun to fight always. You know, every monster fight is still engaging even when they're not really, you know, a, a, a major threat to you. Uh, always engaging and, um, you know, and, and figuring out what your path is going to be. Uh, the, the path you want to create because you know every player is going to I think be different like well I want to prioritize defense because I'm bad at this or I want to you know prioritize this because of this and you know everyone's going to figure out what their own path to victory is going to be what they want to prioritize and that's going to change dramatically what their path is so there's no like there's no strategy guide really for this game that would work uh, that's that's going to be like the path to victory because it's so the, the 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 upgrade paths you could take are so diverse um and all the information you need to determine your path i think is available online and also in your own you know lexicons within the game but uh, and that's just using one weapon i've only ever used the sword and shield you know weapon set i've never i've never even played around with upgrading any other weapons in the game i just keep it nice and simple so i can mostly button mash using my sword and shield and still there's so much uh, engaging stuff to uh, to think about, so it's a, it's a nice back and forth, you know. It it's the kind of game that um, there's a different way to a different type of gameplay to engage in depending on my mood. If I just want to do simple exploration, picking flowers and gathering ingredients, I can do that. If I want to sit and puzzle over like what's the strategy, what's the tactics for building my dude or lady, it's because uh, I modeled her after my wife Holly. <laughs> Some of you guys have seen. Um, and then, you know, there's those like edge of your seat all-out battles, you know, with these giant monsters that, uh, you know, give scratches that itch as well. So, Man, I, I'm just being reminded again how much uh, I enjoy that game and really how much there is in it. Another love that I've rediscovered in video game is Bard's Tale 4 Director's Cut for PlayStation 4. I revisited that game recently for my uh, for just uh, to, re- to refresh my memory as I've been putting together my list for the best of uh, 2019 video that I'm going to be putting out at the end of the year. Um, that that it will be auto posting while I'm on vacation, but that'll that'll auto post along with my uh, movies. Uh, of 2019 video between Christmas and uh, New Year's, I believe. So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say where it ranks in that list, but I'm really enjoying it. I Even before I'd put it down for a while, I'd put uh, about 30 hours into it, you know, which is, you know, that's the length of a classic Super Nintendo JRPG, and there's still plenty of game left, I can tell. And getting back into it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am, uh, I, I'm on board for this. Uh, really enjoying that a lot. Um, I also watched the pilot for Lost in Space on uh, Netflix, and uh, first time I'd ever seen it, I liked what I saw. It's not gripping for me, but it definitely gave me the family feels several times, like specific points of drama that I think uh, are best appreciated as apparent. Um, at least that that's my read on the situation. There is a new season that is starting, that's launching in late December on Netflix, so I may keep watching season one to try and catch up and prep for that, uh, but there lo- likely isn't going to be a review for me as that second, from me, excuse me, as that uh, second season releases. It's coming out on Christmas Eve, and I'm like, uh, no, okay, I have limits, I have limits. <laughs> and doing a late review, I don't think uh, is, you know, really going to be something that's going to, you know, drive a lot of traffic for me so anyway uh i also bought the crew 2 uh, which is an open world kind of racing game of various vehicles planes boats motorcycles cars off-road track racing all the kinds of racing you could want um and that's going to be except for like foot races using the speed force that i guess that would i would really like them to add that some kind of downloadable content it wouldn't it might not take that much effort anyway 
Um, yeah, so the, the Crew 2 uh, deep deep discount on the PlayStation Store because of the Black Friday deals running from now to December 2nd, and the price was right. Um, I, I played the beta when it you know was getting ready to release, and I was like, yeah, there's definitely something for me to enjoy here. Not something for me to enjoy at the price tag of 60 bucks, but at some point down the line, when the price is right in some bargain bin, I can see myself grabbing this just to enjoy a relaxed cross-country cruise. I like it when the rain picks up. You know, I'm going across country. I'm, I'm going to try and drive my way from, uh, like, the roughly the East Coast somewhere to Arizona and see if they... Uh, there, there's no fast travel way for... I, I haven't unlocked any events in Arizona yet that I can tell, and so... But but I've heard that they, they do some nice things when they recreate major cities, and so I'm going to see if I can... Rep- I, I doubt they've recreated Mesa in any way, but I'm going to see if I can recognize any landmarks in uh, Phoenix, as I've made my way out there a few times uh, over the years to downtown Phoenix, so, you know. Anyway, that's my plan, is, it's, is to, over the course of, I don't know, next few months, to drive my way... From somewhere in the east to uh, to Phoenix, if I can find it. So we'll see. Um, and what else? This weekend, this weekend coming up, I'm taking Wednesday off, as I think I mentioned earlier, to hang out with my boys. Uh, plan is to haul one of my TVs out, I think, to the main room to just kind of like uh, hang out with them while they're doing their thing, and I can do some of my thing, and uh, maybe we'll do some things together. I know that uh, Hero Quest will probably be on the agenda, uh, on the agenda with me and and my youngest. Um, tomorrow, anyway, Wednesday, as I record this, uh, will be tomorrow. The Dark Crystal Season 1 is on my plans, uh, on my agenda, to watch Thanksgiving morning. Uh, some of you might remember that uh, a long-standing tradition of mine has been to play the original Dark Crystal movie on Thanksgiving morning, um, <clears throat> because I have a distant memory of it being broadcast on Thanksgiving vacation when I was a kid, and so it's I've always associated with Thanksgiving, whatever. <laughs> And so I'm not like a huge Dark Crystal fan. I just have the movie. I put it on while I'm cooking and baking and getting ready for the big meal on Thanksgiving mornings. It's just something I've done for years. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shake it up. I'm going to shake it up this year. That uh, first season of Dark Crystal on Netflix didn't quite hook me. I think I made it to one and a half episodes or something in. And uh, I'm going to see how much further I can make it in. Uh, just giving it half of my attention while I'm baking and cooking and stuff like that. So, But yeah, I'm going to give that a shot and modify my Dark Crystal tradition a little bit. And this is the last chance, Dark Crystal of Netflix, to uh, hook in one Peter Franson, uh, which I, I'm sure is a really high priority for you. <laughs> so, and then Thanksgiving evening, I think we're going to watch some more Lord of the Rings with my oldest. He's really been big into that. We are about at the halfway point, or past it, I think now, actually, of Return of the King. So we might wrap it up. Uh, on Thanksgiving evening, and uh, that'll be uh, really cool. And uh, there's all kinds of movies I can't wait to introduce Asher to uh, after we uh, get him through that one, which he's really been enjoying. Then on Black Friday, I'm going to do some shopping both in and out of the house, uh, but mostly I'll be enjoying our opening ceremonies tradition of just puking Christmas all over the house in a single day, although this year it's going to be stretched out over two days, Friday and Saturday, because Holly's got to work on Friday. Very sad. Um, and then at some point this weekend, actually maybe just tonight after my uh, guests have left, I'm going to check out the uh, Xbox sales. I just saw that their Black Friday sales on the on the Xbox store up now. I still have an Xbox 360. And while, you know, th- that isn't the focus and, ag- and priority of their deals, they do still, you know, once or twice a year have some pretty significant sales that uh, carry over on the uh, Xbox 360 as well. So looking forward to checking that out. And those are my plans for my week in geek what i've done where i'm going and uh we'll see what god allows that's about it for now stay tuned after the credits for b5 shawarma with adam david collings commenting episode by episode on one of his favorite sci-fi shows babylon 5 or you can jump back to episode 575 if you want to start at the beginning as a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Next week, if God allows it anyway, I will share my thoughts on the first few hours of the video game Terminator Resistance, which is not actually a tie-in to the movie. I mean, it's, I think corporately it's a tie-in. They're wanting to release it and try to capitalize on that. But since that movie has reportedly been bombing in the box office, which is a bit of a shame... Um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's probably good that it's not you know super tied to that movie. Uh. So yeah, I'm really curious. I gameplay wise, it it's not the typical game I would go for, but uh, I am ready to kind of give it a chance. 
That said, I may end up doing a Christian Geek Radar uh, segment instead next week. We'll see. We'll see. So uh, allow for some flexibility in that, please. Uh, Plus, I plan to bring you some more thoughts from our friends over at Speculative Faith, and then we will be continuing our study of what the book of James has of particular help to geeks. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade insider of any subscription tier over at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. I'd also be grateful for positive reviews wherever you find this podcast. I was looking a while back, and the ones on iTunes are freaking old. Old, old, old reviews. And so some nice, tasty, hot, fresh ones would uh, be uh, appreciated by me. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I know you have choices. I know you only have so much downtime or time that uh, you know you're using, you're driving or doing uh, mindless work or whatever. But I know that there are only so many hours in the day, in the week, to put something in your ears like a podcast. And so I appreciate you making time for this one. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. All right. 35, 40 minutes, 30... Oh, it could be as little as 20 if some of them show up early. All right, here we go! The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at christiangeekcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. And so it begins. What do you want? I want it all back the way that it was. Nothing's the same anymore. Why do I still have to remind myself that she's Why gone? don't you eliminate the entire non-homeworld? Stand between the darkness and the light. Declaring martial law. Tell my own government wants to kill me. Get off their encounter suit and butts and do something. Any crew that executes an order like that is guilty of war crimes. Being a freedom fighter is a wonderful thing, but the pay sucks. Oh, well, we're screwed. Now get the hell out of our galaxy! And this was the Parliament of Dreams. The description, according to the Lurker's Guide, reads, Sinclair's old flame, Catherine Sakai, arrives during a week-long festival where humans and aliens demonstrate their religious beliefs. An old enemy sends an assassin to kill Jakar. This episode first aired on the 23rd of February, 1994. This episode starts with our first glimpse at the Drazi, They're a really cool alien race that are reasonably important in Babylon 5. These guys have a full head cast makeup. The effects people were determined to do full head appliances for their aliens rather than just foreheads, which was common at the time. They found, however, that with the demands of a weekly TV series, they couldn't always keep it up. But the Drazi, like the Narn, are a great example of what they wanted to do. Earth Force have established a week where every race is encouraged to demonstrate their dominant religious belief in the name of peace and understanding. Uh, This episode has two other subplots. There's this fun one where Jakar's old enemy is dead, but he's used his estate to hire an assassin to kill Jakar. This plot sees the introduction of Natoth, Jakar's aide. She's a pretty tough character. I wouldn't want to mess with her. It's a lot of fun seeing how those two deal with the assassin. And of course, Jakar's initial suspicion that maybe Natoth is the assassin. The other one is that Sinclair's old flame arrives on the station. Every three years or so, they reconnect, have a one-night stand, and then one of them leaves. This is the first time in a while where they've met where both of them have been available. Now, in most shows, you'd see an episode like this, you know, the two people get together, And then at the end of the episode, they'll realise that they need to be apart. She'd go off into the sunset, and Sinclair would feel sad. Not in this show. They both come to the conclusion that they want to make their relationship work. So at the end, Catherine is planning to return after her next surveying job. Sure enough, next episode, we'll see that she's a regular on the station, having a grown-up relationship with Sinclair. The Centauri display their religion by holding a festival. Basically, it's this huge party, almost an orgy, with lots of alcohol and dancing. As Veer explains, it's a celebration of life. 
It comes from a time in our world's history where two dominant species were fighting for, for supremacy. Our people and a species called the Zon. At year's end, we would count how many of our people survived and celebrate our good fortune. Now, Delenn looks really out of place and uncomfortable uh, in this festival. Basically, the Centauri are celebrating and laughing at the demise of the Zon. We see statues of household gods, where every day is a struggle for survival. You need all the gods you can get, Londo says. But they're being really irreverent towards these, these gods, these idols. Londo then passes out, and Veer proclaims, He has become one with his inner self! You kind of get the impression that this whole thing is a big joke to the Centauri. That they don't take their religion in any way seriously. And I don't know, you know if they ever did. You'd almost think that they actually put on this whole thing as, as a total fake-out. But, you know, I believe that this is actually a part of their culture. Um, but, yeah, this is what the Centauri are like. Uh, this, is, this is the depth of, of their spiritual belief. Anyway, uh, we see Jakar wake up from a nightmare, and his dressing gown uh, kind of shows a lot of his chest. And we see that the makeup department have created a full upper body appliance. Uh, this is great attention to detail. You know, there's there's nothing human about Jakar, despite apart from the fact that he's bipedal. Uh, you know, his skin is all spotty and reptilian. Uh, even his eyes have got uh, red lenses. Um, yeah, absolutely great character design. We also see the first appearance of Linnea, the lens aide. Linnea explains uh, what an honour it is to serve a member of the Grey Council. Delenn warns him not to mention this again. This is to be a secret. The Grey Council are the rulers of the Mimbari people. Delenn is a big deal, yet she's serving as a simple ambassador to Babylon 5. Another mystery. Alright, now it's Delenn's turn to demonstrate Mimbari religion. This is very ritualistic and liturgical. A lot of her words are about death. Apparently, these words are quotes from Valen, when he created the Great Council. We'll learn a lot more about Valen in the future. So they're having a ceremony with what looks like little cherry tomatoes. This is very reminiscent of communion. This is your death. Taste of it, Delenn says. Be not afraid. I am with you to the end of time. Much of this uh, sounds quite biblical. But remember that the Mimari religion is very different uh, from Christianity. Now, they believe in reincarnation, for one. Now, Garibaldi chooses not to eat his fruit. Uh, this is perhaps uh, a subtle indication of what we'll learn later about his own personal stance on religion. Then Delenn says, and so it begins. And again, this is part of the, the liturgy. So these are Valen's words. She won't be the last character this season to say those words. And you may have noticed in the little uh, little intro to B5 Shawarma, uh, the very first quote, uh, you actually hear those words, and so it begins. Through this whole episode, Sinclair has been wondering what to do to demonstrate Earth's dominant belief. In the end, the characters are all ushered into a room. This is Mr. Harris. He is an atheist, Sinclair says. We wonder... Are they going to suggest, as Star Trek often implied, that Earth has outgrown religion? Then he moves along and says, And this is Father Cristani. He's a Roman Catholic. The camera pans along about 50 people, all representing the different religions of Earth, and Sinclair introduces them each by name. Basically, we see from this that Earth in the 23rd century is pretty much as it is now. There are lots of different beliefs. One thing we kind of notice in Babylon 5, um, I mean, the, the alien races are given some diversity. Uh, you know, we're talking about the dominant belief on your planet, not the the sole religion of your planet. But um, there is mention made by various characters in this show that Earth are a particularly diverse species. And that is seen as a bit of a strength of, of humans. So that that's interesting. So something that comes to mind, 
How would we respond as Christians to this celebration of religions? I've heard some Christians use 2 Corinthians 6.14, what fellowship can light have with darkness, as grounds that Christians should not be involved in any kind of multi-faith or religious harmony events, because by doing so, we're condoning the beliefs and practices of other faiths. I've also heard it said that if by attending such an event, if someone gets an opportunity to hear the gospel, then it's been worth it. Jesus calls us to love people and live in peace with them, to love even our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. He also said that he is the way, the truth and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. So I'd be interested to know what you all think. Would you be comfortable being involved in an event like this one on Babylon 5? Let me know your thoughts on the Christian Geek Central Forum. Anyway, next week we have Mind War, where we get introduced to a villain that I love to hate. I'll see you then.